Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, let's go straight to Peter Dowder because we have a lot of questions coming in the IrishGardener.com. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? With the sun starting to shine and the forecast is good for the afternoon, so if you can get out and about, uh, do and get out and about in the garden. Straight in with questions uh, for you. Hi, uh, Patricia and Peter. I have two apple trees. I'd like to know how to prune them and what fertiliser they like. That's from Dennis. Okay. Well, what Dennis doesn't say, and it's kind of relevant actually to this, as to the age of those trees. So if they're new trees, in other words, if they're newly planted and they're kind of under 10 years of age, you're really looking at obviously enough formative pruning. Uh, however, if they're old, mature trees and, you're, and haven't been touched for many years, then you're looking at a thing called restorative pruning. Now, there are differences, but I, I, we could spend the whole programme talking about it, and I won't. So uh, suffice to say that whether or which you're trying to create the same the same end result, you want an open bush centre to the tree. Uh, that is provided, of course, you're not doing anything specialist with it, like a spallying and so along a wall or anything like that. Well, presuming it's just a, a freestanding fruit tree, you want to create an open bush centre. So, it, it, again, whether it's a new tree or an established tree, the, the principles and the rules here, if you like, or the guidelines will remain the same and that you want to you want to avoid any crossing branches. So when you're pruning it, and you're coming into the perfect time to prune it, actually, end of October, November is the right time, um, re- remove any crossing branches because if branches are crossing, the reason you want to create that open bush centre is that you've good air circulation going throughout that tree because if you get the growing conditions right, you're much less likely to suffer from fungal problems like apple scab and, and mould and things like that. So good air circulation is crucial. If you have crossing branches, it's going to get very congested in the centre and then that's poor air circulation and then you have the ideal conditions for the development of fungal problems. Um, also, if you have crossing branches, they'll rub against each other and they'll leave an open wound in the bark. And it's a bit like us, Trish, and, you know, if we have a wound in our skin, that's where infection comes in or can come in if we're not careful. <clears throat> so that's, they're the reasons you want to prevent the crossing branches. You also want to reduce the overall probably height and width of the plant and you want to cut to what's called fruiting spurs. Now, again, it's next to impossible to explain properly what they are without showing you. But the, if you look at where the leaf meets the stem,
them, these are called nodes. And you'll, you'll see if it's a leaf node, uh, and in November a lot of the leaves will be gone, but you'll see that the space between each leaf node is, is the same or similar. But then when you have these little swollen buds or swollen nodes, where you might have a cluster of three or four leaves coming from the one no- node, uh, they're the fruiting spurs. These very kind of, uh, how would you say, they're very kind of congested looking, if you like, and that's mm. what's going to be the fruiting spur. Uh, and they're the ones you want to keep. Um, the most important thing, as I say, is the, the open centre, crossing branches, open centre. Feed it, not at this time of the year, but feed it come next April, let's say, with a good uh, sulphate of potash or good organic tomato food would be what I would use then. Okay, hi uh, Peter. What do I do with my gladiola flowers? They're just gone. They grew very tall this year. Do I cut them back and then do I lift them? And is it the same for dahlias? That's from Joan. Well, going for this, very similar for both, but let's go with the gladiolas first. So they're a bulb in the same way as the daffodil is a bulb. So you let the, let the flower die off and let the foliage die off. Uh, let it go totally brown because that brings all the goodness back into the bulb, which is going to produce your leaves and flowers for next year. So let that foliage dry off first. If that has happened or when that happens, then you simply, with a secateurs or even it will fall away in your hand, remove all the brown withered foliage and throw it into the compost bin, uh, lift those bulbs, store them somewhere cool and dry, let them dry out for a week or two first, um, and then wrap them in a bit of newspaper or something like that. Store them somewhere cool or dry like a garden shed with a view to planting them out then again kind of next January, February onwards. Daily is much the same. Uh, yeah, it's exactly the same, really. Let, they're probably still flowering. Let them flower away. And then when the frost really hits, that'll put pay to that. The foliage will go brown nearly overnight if it's a severe frost. Then you lift those tubers out of the ground. Again, let them dry out for a week or two. Uh, wrap them in brown paper. Store them somewhere cool or dry. Now, that's the, that's the textbook answer for both, Trish. Mm-hmm. I hasten to add, I am not that diligent a gardener and most of my gladiolas and dahlias stay in, in from year to year. Yeah. Uh, and they normally come back, but the odd year might be too wet or too cold and you lose them. Uh, the dahlias do tend to be more resilient. The gladiolas, they kind of nearly plant a few new ones each year. OK, and I have to take a deep breath. This is thank you to Anne from Bantry for this one. Uh, crin, crinodendrum hookerani. Hookeranium. Yeah, it's a native of Chile. I have the yeah. above growing, says Anne. It's now about three feet tall. Can I cut the top off now as I'm trying to keep it low for a few years? I believe it grows very high. You see, it does. It's Crinodendron hookeranium, as you correctly said, is also much better known to, to most of us as the Chinese lantern tree. Aha, thank okay. you very much. So you've got the dark green foliage with these lovely bell-shaped or lantern-shaped, I suppose, red flowers. Uh, it's really nice... I'm, Shrub stroke, large shrub stroke, small tree. <clears throat> so when she's wanted to keep it to three feet, I'm kind of hesitating in my answer because you're really creating a huge maintenance issue and a huge job of work. If you want, like it, it, that's all about using the right plant in the right place. Okay, so if the quinodendron wants to get big. It wants to get to eight or ten foot in height, uh, and it wants to, to spread about eight feet as well. I mean, that's what it's going to do. So. The, the short answer to the question is, yes, I suppose you can take the top off and keep it to three feet, but you're giving yourself an awful lot of work in the years to come. Uh, I'd much rather plant it somewhere where it has the space to, to grow to its, its full potential because you'll never see it at its best if it doesn't grow to what it wants to grow to, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. OK, uh, hi, Peter. I've got red berry holly in full bloom now. If I cut some off, how do I keep it fresh until Christmas? If I put it in sand... Will it hold? It's very early, is it? It's not in full bloom, of course. It's in full berry. Full berry. In May. (laughs) But um, I'm I'm being (laughs) pedantic. Um, 
I think it is a bit early, Trish. Yeah, I mean, the the, the advice I would normally give if you want to, to store buried holly uh, is cut it now, or cut it rather when you when you want, uh, and into plunge it into buckets of damp sand and then into, into a very, very cool or cold garage or something like that. But we're, what, we're about the 14th of October today. It's still two months two months and a bit to Christmas. I just don't know. I'm like, I don't know is the short answer, Trish, if it'll hold that long. The Plunging it in, in buckets of damp sand in a cold environment is the best way to store it. But will it last for 10 weeks? I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, I have a friend of mine who's into photography and she was out taking photographs of some of her holly, which again is in full berry. She's taking photographs for Christmas, but taking them now. Yeah. Maybe that's what you could do. Take a photograph. You want to be cr- creative about it. Margaret yeah. says, is it too early to slip hydrangea flowers? No, to, I, I presume what Margaret means there is to, to deadhead them, so to cut off the flowers. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, it's, uh, if she means slip, and I don't think she does, but if she means slip as in to take cuttings, yeah, it's too late, I would say. But to, to remove and to deadhead the, this year's flowers... Uh, yes and no, if you like. We've had this. We have this question a lot, Trish. And there's two schools of thought. And one is that you can cut away now any time that they go brown, uh, and the other is that you leave them on until kind of the end of February, early March, and they act as a kind of a blanket or a duvet, if you like, for the plant to keep the, the any frost or snow away from the base of the plant. So uh, I would I would say I also like the flowers of them during the winter anyway. I think it's a nice winter look, but that's personal. So my advice really I think would be if I'm to come off the fence on it would be leave them leave to, leave them to the end of February leave them on to the winter Marie says is it okay to to cut back Pontinella shrubs? Potentilla Potentilla um, Yeah they are yes you could cut them back now absolutely sorry I'm just hesitating they, they flower in kind of May, June time so normally a good rule of thumb with a summer flowering one is you could cut them back even in early spring like February, March because they'll flower on growth produced in the current season, if you like, as opposed to last year's growth. So uh, you can cut them, you could cut them back now, any time from now, really, until the end of February, early March. Okay, and you're going to love this one, uh, Peter. What's the best way to get rid of bindweed? <laughs> you're right, I'm not going to love it. <laughs> uh, bindweed is a curse of a plant, and if I had a one-line answer, I would be a multi-millionaire. There isn't a best or an easy way to do it, I'm afraid. It's, it's a question of weakling it I suppose is probably the best way to put it Chris you keep pulling it out of the ground there are chemicals that will kill it glyphosate uh, will certainly won't kill it but glyphosate uh, which is the active ingredient and not just Roundup but in nearly every weed killer on the shelf but obviously there's, there's big discussions onto the safety implications of it. So I'm not going to recommend that but it is out there it will have an effect on bindweed but it will also of course uh, kill whatever the bindweed is going through so much better really I think just keep at it by hand and I know the listener is probably kind of going, what, uh, when they're listening to us, but really just keep taking it out by hand. You will weaken it. Um, and that's really the only advice I have for you. I'm just keep on top of it. Keep just on keep, top just of don't it. Let, yeah, yeah. Don't let it take hold in the garden. Marie has an orchid with a purple flower. What should I do when the flower is gone? I've had it since May. I'm looking for advice on how to look after it. Well, if it's still got a purple flower, we're in October, that's five months. There's some plants really for, for value, aren't they? And they're stunning. They are stunning. They're magnificent. Yeah. And you know what? Whenever I'm doing a piece on, on orchids, be it at a flower show talk or, or video online or anything like that, people always say to me, oh, they're very, orchids are very difficult, aren't they? And they're, they're the furthest thing from it. And the, the majority of orchids that we get uh, here are the phalaenopsis or the moth orchids. They're the ones you tend to see in the garden centres and, and shops. And they really are gorgeous. But... They're the most 
easy to post plant you can you can have. They flower uh, as we as we know for five and six months. Just uh, stand them in a, in a bowl of water for about half an hour, maybe once a week. Uh, now to answer the question, when the flower goes, if you look at the flower stem, you'll see these little nodes along the stem. They're kind of like little little band-aid on the stem, if you like, for want of a better description, the little nodules on the stem. Uh, so don't remove the flowering stem down to ground level, which is something I used to do, thinking I was doing the right thing. But no, you just remove the flower, cutting to a node halfway down the stem or some bit down the stem. Uh, and that node will produce a new flowering shoot relatively quickly. And what I mean by relatively quickly is within three, four, five months, you'll have another one. So just cut it to a node, keep watering it as you were about once a week. Uh, you can move it somewhere less, less, uh, you know, less obvious, if you like, now that it's not in flower, or you can leave it where it is. Um, and I would feed it then, leave it for about a month or two, and then start feeding it weekly with a good orchid feed, and you'll have a new flower in no time. Well done. Okay, somebody's suggesting on the holly. Somebody said, if you make a pit in the ground, put the holly in it, and it'll last until Christmas. So I'm assuming you, you bury it into the ground. Have you heard of that before? I, I hadn't heard of burying it, no. But I wonder, do they mean... Um, just plunging it in, in no, put a p- no it's make a pit in the ground and put the holly in and we could that listener come back and tell us do you cover it in do you do you, yeah, do, do you cover the pit with yeah, hessian or yeah. wood or something like that that's a good idea though I hadn't heard of that one but that sounds sensible alright yeah and Jim is back with his bindweed to say I'm digging out the bindweed and listening to you at the same time go on you Jim well, uh, good. tell Jim cancel the gym membership uh, stick the bindweed and yeah. Anne wants to know when is the best time to cut back roses bearing in mind that she still has some roses flowering on her bushes I have a lovely one at home, a uh, fish called William Shakespeare. It's a really rich red one, a David Austin one, and it's really actually producing probably its best flowers of the year right now because, of course, they were all rained off during the summer. So definitely leave them alone for now. Um, you can trim them back and cut them back now if you want, but I, I actually don't cut my roses back until... Uh, I make sure they're done before the end of February, but it's normally February when I get around to doing it. Uh, and enjoy whatever flowers they give you during the winter. Yeah, yeah, especially when they're still in flower. OK, we'll leave it there. Listen, have a good week. And you, thank you. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.